first of all, please pray for our youth. There was some brilliant preaching and teaching over the past week, and it's just come back to me. Right. Sound is now working. Excellent. Thanks, Ethan. Um, I'm going to use the screen, but I'm not going to read everything on it. It will take too long. So please read what's up there. Make notes if you want. Ask me for slides at the end if you want. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we're here because we love you, because we want to praise you, and we want to make an impact for you. Well, we want you to make an impact through us, in our community, in our nation. And so please, Lord, please, Father, take my words, take our hearts, and just do what you want, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, Jehoshaphat. He is our subject for today. Remember the name. If you get bored of listening to me, see how many words you can make out of it. <laughs> I went to 239 so far. Praise that influences. Praise and virtue that influences. That changes our community. Praise and virtue that changes us. Do we believe that praise and worship, that our praise and worship, can change and influence things like that? Because it can. And this morning, we have this chap called Jehoshaphat. I just called him Jeho, it'll be quicker. <laughs> As a case study to see how it works. Jeho was one of the more godly kings of Israel, not that there was much competition. But, and praise and worship played a large part in his life, but he wasn't perfect. And so, before we look at the praise and worship side, let's lay a foundation. Because Jacob had one main weakness, which did cost him his life, at least once. And that's that he was a wee bit naive, and he was easily influenced. In the second book of Chronicles, chapter 22, that report chapter 18 up there, I don't know. But we read of him allying Judah with Israel at a time when that kingdom was being ruled by Ahab, one of its most wicked kings ever. Not really the best move. And this Ahab, he wants to go to war to we capture some town called Ramos Gilead and he's been influenced by lots of prophets who are not of God and he in turn is influencing Jeho. And one prophet of God who is asked to speak into the situation at Jeho's request prophesies that it will all end in disaster. Yet despite all that Jeho still goes into battle. And it gets worse. Because Ahab decides, I'll go to battle in disguise. He goes into battle, his battle, in disguise. And persuades Jeho to go in wearing his really splendid, distinctive royal robes. And for some reason, 
J.O. agrees. Now, you know, if we go into battle, there's a great big target bullseye on his front and his back. He wouldn't have made a better target. Every enemy arrow trained upon him because they think he's Ahab. Anyway, he realises what's happening. He cries out to God, which distinguishes him from Ahab, and he survives. Obviously, because otherwise there'd be no more story. You get a much shorter message this morning. <laughs> but this has opened the question, foundation question, who is influencing us? Who are we letting influence us? And more to the point here, who are we letting being a restraining influence on us? <laughs> Because that's something someone J-Ho lacked. Who would we take note of? This is something Andy told us about last year. And we discussed it later in our house group. Who is influencing us? And we could all name people who influenced us in the past. But who is influencing us now? Who is influencing us now? Because if we, and in particular in this context, if our praise and our worship is to change and influence our communities, our nation, for good, for God, let's not just, just stop it, change. We'll go further. You know I'm from the Church of England originally. And this particular Sunday, day 6th of August, the church, traditional church, celebrates the transfiguration of Jesus. What we're talking about here is praise and worship that transfigures our communities, our nation, that breaks away the darkness and brings the glory of God down in us, in our lives, in our communities. That's what we want. And if that's what we're going to be, that's what's going to happen. If our praise and worship is to influence and change like that, then we in turn need to be changed and influenced by the right people. We need to be letting the right people influence us. And that is what Jehol set himself down to after his close brush with the archers. What we read on later on in that chapter is that Jehol himself went out encouraging the people of the land to turn back to God. Can we picture this? This is the king of the nation and is going about among all these horrible, dirty, smelly peasants, calling them to return to God. How many other earthly kings do we know who do something like that? And if we flip back a couple of chapters to 2 Chronicles 17, we find he'd already been sending people out, Levites, priests, to teach people the ways of God, the laws of God. You see, Jehol was a man of God at heart, and he wanted to influence for God. So he set, a, set about surrounding himself with people who would influence him for God themselves. And there we have a pattern. We want to influence for God. We want our praise and worship to change things. 
we need that same foundation. We need to be rooted in God's word. And we need to have other people around us who are also rooted in God's word. That we can know, that we can be sure that all these nice words we sing, they're not just nice, hopeful, optimistic words. They're truth. They are divine truth. They are people's experience of divine truth. They can be our experience of divine truth. They are to be our experience of God. Okay, foundation laid. On with the next juicy episode in Jeho's life. And once again, it's going to be another battle scene. 2 Chronicles 20. You may find this gets a bit like the Lord of the Rings films. We just move from battle scene to battle scene. There's not that much filler in between times. And here, Judah is being invaded by three of her neighbours, Ammon, Eden and Moab. Terrifying. At least Jehu thought so. And so he sought the Lord. He sent out a call for everybody in the land to fast. Then they all came together, men, women and children, all into Jerusalem to pray, led by Jehu himself. Lord, help! I said they didn't start off by praying, Lord, help. They started off by seeking God and by praising him. They started off by praising God for his great power. They started off by praising God for his faithfulness and love towards them in the past. His faithfulness towards David, towards Abraham, towards Moses and his covenants with them. And they start off by reminding themselves of God's great power and love and faithfulness towards them as they do that. And then, only then, do they bring their situation before God. Lord, look what these armies are doing. You come to turf us out of the land, then that you yourself have given us. The forces of darkness are taking over our land. Do we ever feel like that ourselves? Okay, might not be quite as blatant as what Jehu faced. Enemy soldiers obviously banded together and marching together as enemy soldiers, but it's happening. Take over by stealth, schools, institution, government at all levels, even dare I say, some of our churches, well, I just have dared. It's happening. That even the church in places for too long has ignored the enemy amassing at our borders. The church sometimes has even welcomed the enemy in. So what happens next? What happens next in our own story is up to us, the people of God, the church today. As for what happened in Jehovah's time, the Spirit came upon them. 
or at least to point one of them in particular, somebody called Jahaziel, who gave one of the most remarkable and, on one level, nonsensical prophecies you might ever hear. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. This battle is not yours, it's God's. Well, that bit made sense anyway. Then he goes on. Go out prepared to fight, but know that you won't have to. Eh? Take up battle positions, and then just stand there, stay there, and watch. Right? Now I want to take some popcorn with you. <laughs> right. Well, they did. But before they did, they praised and worshipped God again, bowing down in humility in response to God's new promise to them on top of all of the other ones they received. And then, as the realisation of that promise, God's promise grew in their hearts, having what sounds to be a really, really good time of raucous praise. And then next morning, as they set out for the battlefield, they did it again. More praise, more worship. The singers, the temple singers, going before the army, praising God for who he was, praising God for his splendour, praising God once again for his great love and faithfulness towards his people. Praising God reminding the army marching behind them of who their God was. I've known stealthier stealth attacks than that. <laughs> but don't worry, they didn't need to stealth attack. God was already stealth attacking. As soon as they started singing, God threw the enemy armies into chaos. They turned on each other they started killing each other. Have we got this? As soon as God's people started praising him, God acted. And by the time he got to the battlefield themselves, it was all over. Battle was won, God had won, no more fighting, but even just a little bit. All they had to do was to be there, observe, and gather up the plunder. Oh, lots and lots of lovely plunder. So much so, it took them three days to gather it all. Three days into some valley. They went on to call the Valley of Blessing. Why did they call it the Valley of Blessing? Because there they blessed God. There they had more praise and worship, praising God for the great victory he had given them, praising God for all he'd done for them. And then they all set off back towards Jerusalem. And guess what they did on the way back there? Any guesses, anyone? Praise, more praise and worship. Here were people who had praise and worship ingrained in them. So much so that it seemed that whatever situation they faced, good or not so good, their first response, their first reaction, was to praise and worship God. 
Why? Because they knew that God was with them and for them. They knew the reality of God for themselves. So, can we glean anything from this for ourselves? Or is this just a nice story with lots of singing and a happy ending? You know, a bit like Swan Lake. <laughs> Maybe not. Yes, we can. Firstly, know that the battles we face, the battle we face, ultimately, is not our battle. It's God's battle. As Ben reminded us a few weeks ago, our enemy, our real spiritual, real enemy, isn't a flesh and blood enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. Our enemy isn't those who would, those people who would seek to confuse our children and young people about our identity. It's not those who would cancel us out or cancel our bank accounts because we disagree with them. It's not those who belong to a particular political party. All of those people, all of them, like anybody else outside of Jesus, they're just prisoners of war who've been taken captive, lied to, deceived by the father of life, Satan, the devil. God's enemy, God's battle. Secondly, know that God has already won that battle against the devil decisively through the death of Jesus on the cross. Yes, it might be a bit of a mocking up operation to do as a result of that battle that we're involved in, but God has already won that battle and wants us to know, absolutely know, be sure that he has won that battle. I mean, look at that story again. God won the battle out in the wilderness. He could have done it there without anybody really knowing. Oh yes, eventually people might have noticed a smell, reported human remains to the local police, but that wasn't God's way of doing it. God could have mapped out those enemy armies even before they even entered the land. That would have been much more convenient. But again, not God's way of doing it. God did it that way because he wanted his people to know absolutely, no doubt at all, he had won the victory for them. He was with them, he was for them, he was before them. He went before them. God has won and he goes before us. Thirdly, know that our praise and worship plays a big part in God's battles today. Not that all decisive one on the cross, but in those mocking up battles in our own day. And today our praise and worship is even more potent a weapon than it was for Judah back then. Why is that? Because we have the name of Jesus to praise. We have the name of Jesus. Jesus, the name that demons fear. Yes. Jesus, the name that drives out sickness. Yes. 
Jesus, the name that conquers our fear. Yes. Jesus, the name that breaks every chain. Yes. We have the name of Jesus as our battle cry, as our war cry. And it works. It works. Our praise and worship works. What we heard towards the end of that passage, if we read it, is this. The Spirit of God was on all the nations, kingdoms of the nations around, because they heard how God had destroyed his people's enemies. And Jericho had peace, because the Lord gave him rest all around. Okay, the enemy armies might have been wiped out. Well, no, there was no doubt they were wiped out. But God's response to his people's praise went much further than that. Fear from all the surrounding nations. Jehu had peace. Judah had peace. Our praise has those far-reaching effects. You know, when it's been quiet outside, I've stood on the road, in the road, and even on the steps of the pub opposite, and have heard our worship band playing quite clearly. I did it this morning. You can hear them the steps, pub steps. It was just two of them up here. We can rest assured the spiritual reverberation of our praise goes much further than that. It echoes all around this town. It echoes all around the field. And while I might not quite understand how it works, one thing I will say is it works because it's communal. What we hear all the way through this passage is God's people coming together to praise him. All of Judah, all the towns of Judah, men, women and children coming together to praise God and to proclaim his victory. Remember what Jesus said, where two or three agree on anything in my name? That goes for, that doesn't just go for what we package as prayer, because what we package as praise and worship as well. It all breeds into one here. God has the victory, the battle is his, he has won it, and we rejoice in his victory. But there's more. Because Jehu had another battlefield experience. I meant this one a bit shorter. We find it in 2 Kings chapter 3. And this time it's going to be the away fixture. This time Judah are away to Moab. And they're still with Israel with them, led by a slightly less evil king than they ever known. And it's not going well. They've run out of water. And Jeho seeks the Lord again. Elisha is summoned. And he calls for a musician. The musician plays, comes, he plays. And as he plays, the Spirit comes upon Elijah. And he says to the armies, dig ditches all over the valley that you are in. You will have neither wind nor rain, because this is Moab, not New Day. <laughs> you have neither wind nor rain, but God will fill the ditches and you will have plenty to drink. 
So they acted in faith. They dug the ditches, and God did what he said. He filled the ditches. But there was more again. Because Elijah went on. This is an easy thing you've asked of God. He's also going to give you victory over Moab. You will conquer them. You will conquer their choice cities. The enemy strongholds will be torn down. Only this time, not a case of standing watch. This time, you have to do some fighting yourselves. You have battles to fight this time. Where does this leave us? Well, I see this is where it gets personal. God meeting personally with us through our worship. In our struggles, in our battles, in our call to move on with him. Because we all have those battles, those personal struggles. And we all have that call to move on with God. And as we do so, God will send the water of his Holy Spirit upon us to refresh us and strengthen us as we seek to do that. But what about that musician? Who on earth was he? Was he just one of the top singers of the day? You know, a kind of 700 BC Judean equivalent of Ed Sheeran, who'd just been brought in to entertain the troops? Probably not. Who said who then? Thought <laughs> so. Probably not. Elisha was the leading man of God in the nation. More likely he'd have been this guy, one of the musician temple people, one of the top leaders, top worship leaders of the time. More Matt Redman than Ed Sheeran, who was there singing praise and worship to God, tuning into God as he did so, and helping others to tune into him as they sought his way forward for them. So where does that leave us? Hopefully doing much of the same. As we worship God here, as we worship and praise God in our home group, in our prayer group, at New Day, wherever. We know he can and he does speak to us and through us. We've really more of his will to us. We've really more of himself to us. And we are to be open to him doing that. Let him speak through us through our worship, to let him work in us through our worship. Let him God work through the music we sing to and the words through the words that we sing to it. Let him the words of worship will sing over us. Let him the words we sing over each other, taking all of those. Let him God work through them. Be reminded that God is in charge, that he reigns supreme, that there is no situation which is beyond him, that no one can stop him, that no one can stop him working his purposes out, reminding us of the power that we in the name of Jesus, reminding ourselves that he is with us, that he is for us and who we are in him. Letting God meet with us in the words of our worship, whatever situation we are in, as we face up to our individual battles, 
That is where we're tipping out. That is where we're to position ourselves to be at. And that is what has worked for me ever since I first set foot in this Jewish family. Even that very first time, what was it we sung? Blessed be your name, you give and take away. I was coming out of being in a leadership position in the Church of England and first starting out somewhere new after what, some 25 years of ministry there? And that was painful. That was painful. But singing that really helped me to let go. God had given me that ministry. He was about to take it away if he wanted to. He could reinstate it. He could move me on somewhere else. It was in his hands. And then we moved on to oceans. You're coming out upon the deep, upon the waters, that deep unknown. Which helped me with that sense that I might not make it back to the safety and familiarity and regularity of the Church of England anytime soon, if at all. That God might be leading me into something deeper somewhere else, but that he was with me in that somewhere else. And then, you did it on me, didn't you? You did it on me this morning. God did. God did, yes, definitely. <laughs> we sung, you give life, great are you, Lord. The first time we sung that, I was flattened. The words flattened me. The music flattened me. That's when God broke me, broke down my resistance, and started to prepare me for much of what I'm doing here now. Now that we've all got those same kind of stories about how God has met with us in our worship and moved us on, both as individuals and as a church family, because that is the way it works. So please, please, Play for Skip and Ben and John and Ethan and Julie and Joe as they feed into what we sing each week. That they'll be guided by the Holy Spirit, that any coin they toss up will come down on the right side, and that God will meet with us. Anyway, back to Jeho's second battle. That one with all the plunder. Remember that. Three days it took them to gather all that plunder up. Three days. We've well, heard three days before. Mental block. <laughs> Death and resurrection of Jesus. That's right. <coughs> Sometime, part of his ministry, Jesus told his parable once, at least once. And challenged about where his authority came from, God or the devil. And in 40 years of the church, I've never heard anybody speak on it yet. So, here goes. No one can break into a strong man's house and take away his belongings, unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he can plunder his house. 
The strong man is the devil. Jesus is one who broke him from the cross on the cross, dying there and then rising to new life. Well, so everything can go black. <laughs> oh, well, sorry, but, sorry about that. That's right to the Hebrew stage. He might destroy the devil who has the power over death and in that way set free those who are slaves all their lives because of the fear of death. Thank you. On the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin. Jesus broke the power of death. He took the punishment for our sins, for all that we would do wrong, that we might go free, that you might go free, that I might go free, that all might go free, that all of those prisoners of war I spoke of earlier might go free. And this is our plunder. These are our plunder. Our lives and the lives of those around us bought, won, freed by the death of Jesus on the cross. Men, women, young people, children, brought into the wonderful liberty of Jesus from all that would hold them back. Every sin, every regret, every bit of guilt or shame, every addiction, every fear, every bad experience, all of it dealt with on the cross, our plunder through the victory of Jesus on the cross. If you don't know that liberation for yourself, and you want to know more of it, then please have a word with Ben or Jen or Julian or Andrea or someone else who you trust afterwards. And so we praise and we worship. And as we praise and we worship, strongholds get broken down in our communities around us as our God goes before us. And we praise, we worship. And as we praise and we worship, footholds and strongholds that the enemy has within us get broken down. And we receive God's healing, God's restoration, God's cleansing, God's power, God's anointing for us to play our part in liberating those captives. We praise and we worship. And as we praise and we worship, we give thanks for all that we see happening around us all God is doing, all God has done at New Day, rejoicing with all the company of heaven, of every sinner who repents, of every captive who comes into liberation of King Jesus, joining with them in our very own valley of blessing. Praise, worship, before, during, after. Praise, Worship, plunder. Let's go for it. I wasn't quite sure how to finish, but I thought, whilst getting Julie brought us our first song, um, Set Your Build Your Kingdom Here. Unless they want to do anything? Fine, yes. Thank you very much.
whilst these guys get set up, if you've got children that kids work, go and get them, and Jen is going, Jen is just going to actually share. So come on. Kids work, kids, parents. Um, so I just wanted to share a little story from you, Dave, that I was reminded about when um, Ian was talking about um, when he was talking about convenience. Like sometimes we're like really frustrated by our own circumstances, aren't we? We're like, we wish we weren't going through with this. We wish it wasn't so hard. And I was really reminded about a um, story that we shared. See if you remember. Um, was that there was a boy who sent his story in to all of Adrian Holloway that was shared because he couldn't make it to New Day this year. And he shared that actually last year he came to New Day with um, kidney cancer. He had a tumour in his kidney. And four weeks before New Day, he'd had, um, or some, yeah, he'd had it scanned. It was seven and a half centimetres. His um, church had prayed. And four weeks before New Day, he had another scan, and it was four and a half centimetres. And the week after New Day, he was going to have another appointment where they worked out what they were going to do about um, the treatment and his options. And actually, what they found was, so he was there on the praise, worship, exactly what we've been talking about, Ian. Hello, gang. And what they found was, when they um, when they scanned him at that appointment, after the praise, the worship, the prayer at New Day, is that there was no cancer. So he was totally healed, which was amazing, amazing to hear. But I was really reminded of that story today because, like Ian said, we sometimes feel, God, there's more convenient ways that you can do this. You could just, you could just, you know, provide me that new job because I hate my job. You could just release me from this. You could just heal me from this. And we sometimes, we don't like walking through the hard stuff, do we? And praying, worshiping through the hard stuff. But I was really reminded of that story of that young lad. He came to New Day with the cancer, praising and worshiping, just like everybody else. And God saw fit to change his circumstance. But what that leads us to is more praise and worship. And I love that because what does it... And actually, it goes bigger than that boy. And I'm so pleased that he sent his story in to share because I'm now here sharing with all of you. And we we can all now praise and worship God for he is good. Thinking about his story. So, yeah, it was just that reminder that, yeah, sometimes God doesn't do it conveniently, maybe, how we think. But actually... In the way that God works, he knows his own wisdom, and actually that just leads to more praise and worship. So, yeah, let's praise.